what an interesting time we're living in right now. Our vocabulary is filled with words like case numbers, community transmissions, testing and isolation. And once again, Sydney, we're looking at the memes to keep us in our sense of humour, even in the midst of our daily lives. And I'm sure our resident dad, Joker Keegan, shout out to you, Keegan and Vicky, how are you going? You're going to be relating to this wholeheartedly. So I'm just going to share a couple of my favourite memes at the moment. So this one is from New South Wales Police, and it shows how our daily commute has narrowed. Okay, so we go from the bedroom to the bathroom to the kitchen to the clothesline, and if we're lucky, we can go to the park, yeah, to do some exercise. I've never done more exercise in my life, but I also like going to the coffee machine. Who else agrees, yeah? And... (laughs) Um, and the next meme, this is another one of my favorites, um, and this is for the parents whose kids are remote learning, right? So at school, uh, when I teach school, we always stop at 10 o'clock and have a brain break, and we have crunch and sip, yeah? And we eat a piece of fruit and have a little sip of water to keep our minds active and working for the next um, part of our learning, Well, this is the grown-up version of that because if you have to deal with the technology of online learning, like you've already got a headache before you've started. But not that I'm advocating day drinking. I'm not, okay? (laughs) It's just poking fun at a stressful situation. You know, or maybe you're having an ISO birthday like I did, but also Alison and David, Alison and David, happy birthday. Um, this one's for you. You can't blow out your candles, but you can use a hairdryer to, to blow out your candles, yeah? Yeah, my birthday cake celebration, we, we were on Zoom with the... I'm back. Okay. So you might be wondering what's going on with the world. Are you wondering which way's up, which way's down? Who's in control? Like in our household, we joke that our three-year-old is the boss because she acts like it. Um, who's the boss? Us or her? Sometimes it's her, sometimes it's us. And my online trainer, she's got cats. And I see whenever she's trying to lead the exercise class, the cats are all over her. The cats rule the roost in her house. What's going on? There's this tension. There's a battle of wills. Who's the strongest? Who's in charge? Sometimes it's the one with the loudest voice, the most stubborn who triumphs. But there's this tension in the world because there's two types of kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. There's God and there's Satan. There's light and there's dark. There's good and evil. But just as the proverb says, it's always darkest before the dawn, And from that great movie, The Crow, it can't rain all the time. Things may seem to go from bad to worse, but the sun will shine again. After the flood, there is a rainbow. These times will not last forever. There's temporary things and there's eternal. And today I want to preach good news. I want to hold out the word of life. What's in this book, this book, is God's word, eternal word. And I want to assure you that God is in control. He's in the midst of it and he will not leave us. And God is the king of this kingdom. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. And this is an eternal kingdom. And what we see now is temporary. 
When we search the scriptures, we know that God is the author and perfecter of our faith. And even what the enemy intends to use for evil, God can use for good. So I'm in the middle of a teaching series from the book of Mark, and it's called Back to Basics. And we want to know who is Jesus? What did he say? Where did he come from? What's his purpose and how do we respond? And I've done eight chapters so far and we're at the halfway point. So there's 16 chapters in Mark. And and the very last message I shared, Jesus um, was saying, I am predicting my death. He was predicting his death. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected and he must be killed and after three days rise again. So we've established who Jesus is in the first eight chapters. And now as we go to the end of Mark, we're going to follow Jesus as he journeys towards his death and resurrection. And this is to fulfill the plan of God. So let me pray as I'm about to open up Mark chapter 9. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray that you will open our hearts and let the word of hope build up our faith. Help us put your word into action today in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd open up uh, to Mark chapter 9, all scripture today will be read from the NIV version. Chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. My message title today is The Kingdom of God, and through reading Mark 9, we'll discover how Jesus is the king of that kingdom, and he rules with authority and power. Let's continue verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there he appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Let's um, unpack that. So Jesus and his three closest disciples have come up to the mountainside to pray. And while they're there, something astounding happens. It's so hard to even put into words. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are here in glorious splendor. It's so bright. It looks like their clothes are whiter than anything else. It's it's like lightning flashing. Their clothes are so white. It's like it's whiter than you could bleach them. My mother would be proud of that. But they were talking to Jesus about his departure. We find that out in Luke 9. And this would be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus had been talking about the way he was going to die in in chapter 8. He would suffer, be rejected, and be killed. But God has brought ministers to him to encourage him. He's standing there with some encouragers. Moses and Elijah, who've been through many things before, are there comforting Jesus and talking to him before he goes. He's being strengthened. And who is Moses? Well, Moses, he's the one who led the Israelites through the desert, who rescued them through God, through from slavery and into the promised land. He's the one that wrote the first five books of the Bible, otherwise known as the law. 
And Elijah, who's Elijah? He was a great prophet who lived in the time of the kings. And he proved um, God's power in many, many miracles. One of the most famous being the fire that came and uh, burned up the sacrifice. And then the prophets of the Lord were restored. But this moment here, the transfiguration as it's called, is evidence that eternity exists. Moses died 1,400 years ago. Elijah had been taken up to heaven 600 years ago. So Elijah hadn't even died. Moses had died. But here they are standing face-to-face with Jesus. So there's this realm of eternity that exists in this time and place. Quite amazing. So verse 5 continues. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Imagine we would be frightened if we were in this situation too. It's mind-blowing. But Peter's trying to make sense of it. He's putting a little box around it, trying to keep them in his limited understanding. Verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I'm not sure if I can do a good God voice, but anyway. So God is speaking. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And this is significant because this cloud represents the presence of God. When we look through the Bible, we see the, like we see the clouds and the rainbow after the flood. We see God speaking to Moses in the cloud on Mount Sinai. We see the Israelites following the cloud through the desert to the promised land. The cloud of God's glory fills the temple in the time of Solomon. And there's so many more examples if you want to do a study on that. So if Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets, Jesus represents the fulfillment of the law and the prophets through the voice in the cloud. So God is putting his stamp of approval on Jesus and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. God is affirming the new day, the new agreement, the new covenant. It's not just Old Testament law and prophets. It's New Testament, Jesus' words. We better listen. Verse 9, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. So this is the second time Jesus has talked about rising from the dead, but they still didn't understand. Verse 11, and they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure. Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Okay, switch your brains on because this is going to be a bit tricky, okay? But Jesus here is saying the prophecy about Elijah has been partly fulfilled but part of it's yet to come, right? Malachi chapter 4 
talks about the spirit of Elijah will come and turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the children back to their fathers. And Luke chapter 1 verse 17 confirms this, that it's John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah who's who's come to prepare the way for Jesus. And Jesus said, well, they've done to him what they wanted. And we read in Mark 6, they imprisoned him and killed him. But what about the not yet? Well, because in Malachi it says, Elijah will appear before the great and dreadful day. Well, that's the day of judgment. And many Bible scholars believe that Elijah will be one of those witnesses in Revelation 11 who's saying, preaching and telling of the day to come. So it's, hopefully that is understandable, okay? But there's a lot to study. I didn't want to skip any verses. That's why we're just going, charging through. Okay. So back to my heading, Jesus and the kingdom of God. So what does this passage teach us about the kingdom of God? Well, firstly, it teaches us that God's kingdom is eternal. It exists outside the boundaries of time and space. You know, how can two men who lived thousands of years earlier be present and having a conversation on a mountain? Had Bill and Ted gone back and had an excellent adventure and brought him back in a time machine? I don't think so, because this is God we're talking about. God is the beginning and the end. Nothing occurs without his hand on it. His plans to bring the world into redemption were set before the beginning of time. So he knew that Jesus was going to his departure. He knew to send Moses and Elijah to minister to him. Jesus talks about rising from the dead. This means resurrection is real. It's possible. That thing that people fear the most, dying, it's not the end. There is an eternal reality in the kingdom of God. And what did God himself say? He said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So what kind of perspective do you have on your life? Do you have a temporary or eternal perspective on your life? What's your understanding of these current events or this current situation? And whose voices are you listening to? What effect do they have on your level of peace? And what are you doing to listen to the voice of God? There's a lot to think about there. But we will continue and look at another aspect of the kingdom of God. Let's look at verse 15 where Jesus heals a boy possessed by an impure spirit. Verse 14. They came down from the mountain. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. So down at the bottom of the mountain, there's a huge commotion. There's a huge crowd, disciples, dad, teachers of the law, people. They're all rushing to get to Jesus. Verse 17, the father comes forward. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So over here, we've got evidence of another kingdom at work. 
this kingdom is in the realm of darkness. It's the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the air. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 calls Satan the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And this demon is under the, the rule of Satan here. And this demonic spirit inside the boy is out to destroy him. He can't speak. He can't hear. He has seizures and he foams at the mouth. He's been robbed of his life and his livelihood. And the disciples, they couldn't cast out the demon. They'd failed, even though they've successfully cast out other demons before. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. It's hard to know Jesus' tone here. I'm just imagining, okay? But can you sense the frustration? The people are unbelieving, faithless, doubting, skeptical. Back in Mark 8, where Jesus fed the 4,000 with the fish and the loaves, and back in chapter 6 where he did it before, he's like, don't you get it, guys? I've done this before. We can do it again. But they doubted the power of God. Verse 20, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What a powerful story. Let's continue with the explanation here. Over here, the demonic spirit is separate to the boy. The demon is possessing him and causing him to do what he normally wouldn't do. It's causing him to throw himself into the fire or to drown himself It's out to destroy his life, and it's been with him ever since he was a little boy. And the father is at his wit's end. He's desperate. Nothing's worked so far. He uses the words, if, if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus replies powerfully with these words, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything, like like even impossible things. Well, a 90-year-old woman can give birth to an Isaac. A four-day-in-the-tomb-dead Lazarus can come to life. A Daniel can escape a lion's den. Everything is possible. Who is the one who believes? Is it limited to Jesus or only the disciples or, or those who have a label? No, it's... Everything is possible for one who believes, those who trust in the Lord, who have faith. The father does believe, though. He came to Jesus. He brought the boy to the disciples. He believes there's power. He believes it could happen, but he's got doubt. He has some fear. He has a what-if-it-doesn't-work mentality. What, what What if it works? What if it doesn't work? He's crying out, I do believe. I've got faith to come to you, Jesus, but 
I know that there's unbelief there too. Help me, Jesus. Help me get past this doubt and confusion. There's that tension between faith and doubt, which I'm sure all of us can relate to. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. That evil spirit wanted to hold on to that boy. It it wanted to deliver one final blow to him and to the point where he looked like he was dead. But by the grace of God, Jesus picked him up and he was healed. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. So, of course, the disciples are curious about their failure. Why couldn't they command the demon? What was wrong with their faith? Jesus had one command and it came out. This particular demon was persistent. It was really sticky. It was stuck on this boy. I can't explain why. But you know when there's certain situations that are really, really sticky, you know, some demons seem to have deep roots. Jesus said that the demons would come out through prayer And in other manuscripts, it says prayer and fasting. And what is prayer? Well, prayer is communication with God. It's making a connection with God, listening to God, speaking to God. What's fasting? It's reducing or eliminating your intake of food for a period, for a time of purpose. It's a spiritual discipline, and it causes the believer to to grow in humility, to seek and depend on God, to awaken spiritual hunger and sensitivity. And what Jesus is saying, this difficult situation requires more than just a, oh, she'll be right, you can come out. It's more like you need some spiritual strength here. As a side note here, I will add that sometimes things happen because of the mysteries of God and the sovereignty of God. I preach from Mark chapter 5 about the sovereignty of God and how sometimes Prayers are answered or sometimes God moves in a way that we don't understand. So I'll just leave that side note there and I'll explain a little bit more later. Okay. So what does this teach us about Jesus and the kingdom of God? So Jesus here is showing he has authority over all demonic spirits. John chapter 10 verse 10 says that the thief, that's Satan, only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the world, he's out to destroy. He wants to maim and hurt. He hates the kingdom of God and he's the enemy of all that's good. But Jesus said everything is possible for the one who believes. He's not talking about believing in yourself or like high five when they sing when you wish upon a star. All your wishes will come true if you believe in you. I always sing, if you believe in God, and Christina gets upset with me. She's like, that's not the words. I'm like, God, I don't like this song. But anyway, he means those who believe in the power of God. What about unbelief and doubt? Well, how about this generation? 
You know, Jesus said, look at you generation. How long am I going to put up with you? But what about our generation? In the last census, only 52% of the Australian population identified as Christians. So that's 48% who don't. So like one in two people will have a, a belief in Jesus. But even those who are believers, how much do we ourselves struggle with unbelief and doubt? And I have to say, unbelief is sin. It's rooted in fear. It's being scared that God's word's not true. And this is how um, Satan worked in the garden with Eve. He said, did God really say that? Did God really say you will not surely die? He made her doubt the truth of God's word and it caused her to sin. What do you believe for? What are you hoping for? A couple of weeks ago, Yvonne encouraged us to write down what we hope for, talk about it, make it real. He also urged us a few months ago to just pray. What are you hoping for? Is that are you are you hoping that you get a spouse, a healing, a pregnancy, a salvation of a loved one, restoration of a relationship? Maybe there's a situation in your life that seems impossible. Well, I have a, a friend. Um, she's a a 45 year old and living. Or she was living as a missionary in Germany, and um, she was single. She met a random man from England on a ski trip. And because of COVID, they started a beautiful blossoming relationship. And by the grace of God, where you think, how am I going to meet people? I'm isolated. I'm quarantined. Well, because of that, like they had dates on Skype and God brought them together. But even then, their wedding was um, had to be put back because it was illegal to get married in England during their lockdowns. Um, But God brought them together and they had a wedding with six people and 270 live streamers. And I thought that was a wonderful testimony of how God was moving in an impossible situation. He moved in an amazing way in response to our prayers. You know, but things can get in the way of our trusting God like a flowing river can stop flowing when boulders are thrown in. Sin can come in and different types of sin. Unforgiveness, John Rumi gave a great message on that last week. It can cause the, it can cause a blockage in the movement of the river. And, you know, sometimes our prayers are not answered in the way we expect and doubt can come up. It can cause our belief to waver. And it may not be that there's an issue with our faith or our prayer, but maybe God's got a plan that we don't understand for now. Like I have a situation in my life where I've been praying for this certain relationship for 10 years. So it's, that's a long time. And there are times when I'm full of faith for the situation. Yeah, God can do anything. Everything's possible for him who believes. I'm praying. I'm abiding. I'm, <sighs> And then something will happen. And I'm like, this situation's not changing. <sighs> Why is it so hard? Why are they? <gasps> and I'm realizing that I'm doubting that the situation will change. It's sticky. 
it's stuck. It's like one of those demons that have like taken root. And once again, I have to apply this word. I have to be like that father and say, Father God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I really need you here. We might not understand what's going on at the time, but we need to remember God has this eternal perspective and somehow he will work things out for good. Keep holding on, keep trusting, and keep it simple. Okay? So how about you? Is there a situation in your life that seems to be stuck? What does your prayer for this situation look like? Have you persisted or have you given up because it's a long time coming? Do you believe but struggle with unbelief? And how about now that we're going through this really tough time as a community? Can you see the kingdom of God and can you see what he's doing in all these world events? And if you find yourself struggling with unbelief, I encourage you to RBT, not a random breath test, but to repent, to turn away from your sin and towards God, believe in Jesus' words and his authority and trust, trust him to answer your prayers. Maybe pray with a friend, share a prayer request, be encouraged, get strengthened because Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. I'm going to stop there because there's too much to cover in the next 21 verses to do it justice. So I've asked if I could bring my preaching dates forward so I can continue what we've started. But let's summarize here. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And in this world, we have a struggle between them. And firstly, we need to understand that God's kingdom is far superior to any other kingdom. Light displaces darkness. Mercy triumphs over judgment and good overcomes evil. We know the end of the story. It's in Revelation. The world is wrapped up. God brings his people to be with him. Satan and his minions are destroyed. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus stood on the mountain and they proved there's life after death. There's a realm outside of possibility. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. Jesus has completed the work on the cross. We have the death and resurrection of Jesus to prove once and for all that Jesus has power over sin and death. He gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of God, of Christ, and it lives inside of us. It's our connecting point with him. And through the Holy Spirit, we have that power and authority to overcome. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us. We have the spiritual weapons of war. We've got prayer, we've got fasting, we've got the armor of God. Let the kingdom of God increase in your life. This generation is an unbelieving generation, but how are we going to turn that tide and raise up a generation that believes? Are you with me? Yeah, awesome. Can I invite Charles to come up and let's just have a time of reflection and ministry. As we conclude, I want you to just take some time to think, to reflect and and sit in the presence of God and ask yourself, what are the voices that you're listening to? Are you seeking out the Lord's voice or are you on a steady diet of media and news or the opinions of others? 
know, God's voice spoke through the clouds. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Are you listening to him? Are you making space for him to increase the volume of his voice in your life? Are you making time to devote yourself to his word? What can you do this week to listen to the voice of Jesus? How aware are you of the two different types of kingdoms? As a believer, do you recognize where you have belief and unbelief? Is there something that you've given up on because it's been a long time coming? Now is the time to recognize that before God. Bring it to Him. Ask for help. Recognize the power of the Holy Spirit within you. How will you respond to this message? Jesus taught us to pray, May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because though he's brought his kingdom to this earth, we, his followers, need to outwork that. His kingdom is not yet complete. There's still that tension, that battle between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And we need to live that out. We can pray for it. We can see more of God, more of his kingdom brought to earth. This earth that we see now is temporary. These problems that we have right now, they're temporary. They're devastating and they're hard and they're challenging and my heart goes out to everyone who's struggling right now. But I pray that you will see that there is an eternal perspective, that God is doing something in the midst of this and he will help us. He's with us and we have the tools here we can to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. I just want you to close your eyes. Pray the Lord's Prayer together as we close. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your word. Help us put it into practice. Help us hear you more clearly. Help us, Lord God, where we don't believe. May your kingdom come in our lives, in this city, in our families, in this world. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. I'll pass it over to Marie. I can't wait to continue Mark chapter 9 with you next time. Thank you.